0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Ultimately, you am going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day, just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. I'm Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer, and it's another episode of 1% Better, your favorite Colts podcast, or so I hear. So we have football going on and have had it for the past week plus, so that's different. Um, It won't be here for long, though. (laughs) As we're recording this, it's the last day of workouts for the Colts, Uh, a two-week stretch of workouts they've done here. I guess this would be their so-called OTAs for this year Uh, so they are wrapping up but uh, you know we're here to kind of recap what we've learned we're going to see one more practice this afternoon but uh, before we get to that uh, we we wanted to kind of recap what we've learned so far Uh, so we'll see I mean the next time we see these guys on the field it'll be in Westfield in July we think in Westfield at uh, Grand Park right so uh, July 27th is kind of the target date right now so you might actually get your chance to come in person. So stay tuned for that. So let's talk about this, Zach. Um just, I mean, first of all, let's start very broadly. Do you think this I think accomplished the intended goal? It's two weeks. Uh they're doing like four or five-hour days. It's not like, you know, this is mid-season stuff here, but uh, did they get much out of this? Do you think? What's your sense? I'm not so sure to be completely
2: honest. Um, (laughs) Look, I mean, it's may they're not in pads, you know, and even in the the typical mini camp situation is the first time we get to see them in pads. Right. I know it's only three days, but they're playing football and some guys look great in, in short sleeves and some guys look different when they put the pads on. So I'm not ready to go that far. Now they're doing a lot of install. Right. And that's going to help. There's, there's no doubt that they're making progress um, but I'm not ready to say that they're going to get the same out of this offseason as they did in, let's say, 2019 or 2018 or Mm -hmm. the previous normal years. But the, you know, the overwhelming response when you start about the most important guy on the roster, Carson Wentz looks really good. They think he's got a huge arm. He's picking up things quickly. He's picked up with Frank Reich exactly where they left off four or five years ago. That's been the early return for me. But in the back of my mind, I've done this long enough, and I know you have as well. I'm thinking it's May. It's not hard yet. It will get hard, and and that'll be uh, a little bit more revealing when we get into the second, third week of training camp when they're actually playing something that looks like real football.
1: Yeah, no question. And and I I think one of the things that I was going to mention is that I I really do – you kind of hit on this. I I really do think that the benefits of this will be far more mental than physical. There's no question. Because of the level of competition that they are – or well, I guess the, the level of intensity, I guess, that they're going at, right? They're they're not even wearing helmets, okay, for crying out loud. So, yeah. like, you know, there's only so much you can do. Now, I'm not discounting it. I mean, there's a reason high school teams do seven-on-sevens and all that stuff, right? Like, all summer long. Like, that stuff does matter. And and there's a benefit to that. Uh, I think timing and all those things can can be nailed down. But, yeah, let's just be clear about what this is. But But I do think this was definitely much more a mental process than a physical one. And I, I honestly think for the offense, it was much more necessary. I think the defense, we saw them out there last week. I don't even think they broke a sweat in the workout that we saw on defense. Yeah. The the offense was much more engaged um, and, and they were doing things, running plays. The defense was 100% mental. No question about that. I got a Sorry. lot more questions about
2: the offense than the defense. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like with a new quarterback and – um I feel like that's, that's more instrumental. And Wentz even admitted yesterday, like, I don't, I don't know the offense completely yet. I'm still learning it. And you'll obviously learn more as you get into live reps and when it gets faster. Um, But this is, is, this is install time and that's good for him. Uh, But yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. The defense, it looked like day one stuff, you know, and I guess we are sort of in day one type area, but um, I don't know. We'll see. The good news is if you're a player, You got eight weeks. You got eight weeks to yourself. Now, the quarterbacks and receivers and tight ends are going to get together twice, both once in June and once in July. Wentz said yesterday. That's important. They want to keep working. Um, But you're not going to have any injuries in June, you know, barring a guy getting hurt by himself. So, um, you know, that's a good thing because there's always a couple that pop up over the NFL across the league in, in the middle of June. And it's just heartbreaking because if it's an ACL or something, that guy's season is gone. So the players wanted to protect themselves. This was the Compromise they came to. Uh, we'll see if we see a little bit more football today, but um, it's not the same type of work they were getting in mid June
1: and in years past. Yeah, no question. So, so let's let's get into some of the the more uh, minute details. You talked about Carson Wentz, and I, and I think really he has been the story of this two week period, right? I mean, he's the guy. Who they needed to see, uh, the guy I think who was going to benefit the most from this, and and it does seem like he has gotten some things out of it. I, I mean, look, the, he's not ready for day one. Nobody is, but but I do think there was some importance to getting him in the building, and getting him around these guys. I mean, many of them many of them have never met him. Uh, I think this was really going to be valuable that way. And the first impressions, look, I they don't they won't mean anything like in the fourth quarter, come September maybe. But but I do think first impressions are at least notable. So let's talk about the first impressions, right? I mean, we haven't had a chance to ask a lot of these players or talk to a lot of these players about what they uh, sort of glean from their interactions with Carson Wentz. So we now have had that opportunity. I would say to a man, they love this guy. I mean, I know it's yeah. early and they don't really, really know him, but... And I don't know what happened in Philadelphia, and I'm not even really referencing that. All I just, all I know is that there were questions, and they love this guy. Uh, They, and it does seem like he understands the the perceptions about him as well, and is quietly, even if he won't admit it, but quietly working. To to counteract that, I mean, am I going too far did you perceive that, too?
2: No, I mean, we talked to five or six different players and it was the same thing every time. A couple of things jumped out to me and, and we should probably preface this by saying, like, it's one thing to do it in May. It's another mm-hmm. to do it when it gets hard. Right. In September and October. That's how this league works. But I mean, Michael Pittman started by saying, like, you know, he threw a 65 yard uh, post route and, and I had to run to get it. And and Naheem's is saying he's got the prettiest deep ball I've ever seen. And Naheem's played for four quarterbacks now in four years. (laughs) So the physical attributes are jumping out to these guys. And I think it's fair to contrast them with what Philip Rivers was last year. And look, I don't need to say this on this podcast. I'm a huge Philip Rivers guy. I completely came around on him last year. We all know what he did. His downfield accuracy was absurd. And the way he played through that toe injury, I mean, the intangibles are, are legendary. So that being said, the dude couldn't move. He was immobile. We know that Um, Carson is different. And the players are noticing that right away. I mean, even Frank Reich yesterday said he's a rare physical specimen for the position. So they've got that coming in. They've got a 6'5", 235-yard pound quarterback coming in. That's different. Who can move? That's really struck the players so far. How far he can throw it, how well he moves, just how different it is than having Rivers back there. Um, And then secondly, he's gone out of his way to really get to know the guys. I mean, he's asking Naheem about his twin sister. He's talking to other players about their families. Like you said, there is the um, the knocks from his time in Philadelphia. A couple of the Colts players talked about that yesterday saying, I don't know what happened in Philly, but he's been great so far. Early returns are really good. He sounds like a great teammate. We'll see when it gets hard. We'll see when Carson has a bad game, which he will, because it's the NFL. But so far they, they love this guy. And it really seems like it's lining up with the idea that fresh start, new player, the right coach. This could work. It really feels like it's on that pace right now.
1: You know, I don't not to make too much of the the locker room aspect of this, but but the Colts, you know, we we talk often about them having had these. You know or about to have their fourth different starting quarterback in the past four years, right? And but the, the one thing they were all different, but the one thing that Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, and Phillip Rivers all had in common is the locker room freaking loved them, okay? Like, loved them, would, would yes. like walk on hot coals for those guys. And I don't know how much of that carries over on Sunday, but I think some of it does in terms of a couple of things. Number one, leadership and trusting that guy in the moment, right? Now, he's got to be a good player, and that's really the way you trust him in the moment. But at the same time, you know, when that quarterback checks you after you make a mistake, you know, in, in the third quarter of a big game, you know, you you have to know that he's going to react the right way to that admonishment, you know, or ad- admonition, excuse me. I think I made up a word. and And I think that comes from the locker room. You know, and what is built in there. And so what I'm getting to is I think Carson Wentz is going to have to get to a a place where he can have that relationship with these guys. And he has a high bar to reach because the guys who came before him were absolutely excellent in that regard. Right. And I I mean, I remember Andrew Luck was, was the master of this, going into the cafeteria and finding some like practice squad guy and sitting down and eating lunch with him and just like asking him, like, who are you? I mean, you know, that that stuff matters, man. I mean, if I'm that guy, I I love Andrew Luck for that, you know? And so, right, you know, Carson can only be him, right? Yeah, I'm not asking him to be somebody else, but I do think that's important. And it and it has been something these players have come to be used to from their quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I think that matters. I don't know. Um, I
2: think it matters 100%. And we yeah. talked to Frank about this um, before we had the, the – draft room with Chris Ballard, Frank kind of popped in and we chatted. And one of the things that Rivers did last year that was not easy that he made look easy was earn the respect of the locker room. And I get that it's Philip Rivers, but you just have to understand how weird this year was. He didn't get in the building until August. He didn't meet a lot of his teammates in person until August. So for him to get everybody on board and behind him, that's a really hard thing to do. That's not something you can fabricate or really expedite. You can't make that go faster than it is. And Luck had it, and Brissett had it, which was rare for a backup.
1: Yeah.
2: Brissett absolutely had that. Rivers had it. Wentz has got to work his way to that. It's an authentic thing that needs to happen over time. Um, but I think you're right. That's a good point you made. Like, just be you, just be you. You can't be the guys that came before you, um, but they like what they see so far. If he could, you know, Pascal said he can throw it 80 to 100 yards. I'd love to see it, but um, hmm. every receiver is going to love a quarterback who can do that.
1: But I will tell you, look, I mean, I I did really spend a lot of time on the film after they traded for him. And it's the one thing you do notice, like the the athletic uh, abilities. Like, it's so clear. Even in games where he was shit, like, you can still see it. Now, now he's got to be more accurate. And I think sometimes when there's pressure in particular, like, he starts to kind of crumble, right? Like, he... But I think he he's gonna benefit from obviously playing behind a great offensive line and 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 he'll have a I what I think is a great play caller and Frank Reich. I, I think he's gonna benefit many, many in many, many ways uh to to maybe reduce some of the issues he had. But the I'm just telling you the, the physical skills, I get what these guys are saying because if you watch the tape, you see it, you know, and, and now did you they're notice, seeing it.
2: Did you notice what um what Frank said yesterday? He said some of the things he's telling Carson are there's it's different here we have a great offensive line that prides itself in the number of sacks they allow the very few number of sacks they allow we like to get the ball out quickly these are things he's reminding carson on a daily basis that are in direct counter to what he had last year right 50 sacks for goodness sakes that's everything and we've been saying this all along and i'm going to keep saying this carson doesn't have to be mvp carson he just has to come in and be an above-average quarterback. This team is good enough to just have an above-average quarterback and, I think, be a player in the playoffs. So it's interesting that Reich sees it the same way. He's basically saying you don't need to do too much. You were trying to do too much last year, and I thought the most telling quote we got from Frank yesterday was, you know, humble pie doesn't taste good, but it's good for you. And I think that's really what sums that up. That was a very is, direct quote, yeah. Yeah, 2020 season. I mean, that was pretty yeah. telling.
1: That was really, the. I think, the most – the, the the most strong or the strongest terms that Frank has used to describe what happened with Carson Wentz last year. Because I think all along it's he's kind of he's kind of tiptoed around it, right? Like, uh, you know, it happened. We all struggle. It's fine, yeah. but like he, I thought, that that really struck me when he said that because that was his way of saying, "Yeah, he played like shit." <laughs> like, yeah, I was I mean, like, "Thank you." Okay, we're getting somewhere. I mean, it was kind of like him acknowledging it. I don't think I don't know if that's what he meant to do, but that's what he did. And so, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I, that was my takeaway. Like, ah, okay, that that resonated with me when he said that. You know, it's like I hadn't really heard that from Frank Wright. I think, so, like, it, unless you're Tom Brady. Everybody
2: in this league is going to go through that. Everybody has bad years. I mean, Reich's been fired a couple. I mean, it's just how it goes. And I think the setup that he's got here is, and then you mentioned leadership earlier. One other thing that jumped out to me that Frank said yesterday was, this team has great leaders on this team that aren't Mm -hmm. the quarterback. And that's not going to change. And I don't know what the leadership situation was like in Philly last year. I wasn't there, but I would assume it was Carson Wentz, number one. Here, I, I don't necessarily think that. That's not a knock on Carson, but when I think of this team and who leads them in terms of the tempo and the voice, it's it's fifty-three. Darius Leonard just—he is the Colts right now. He's the heartbeat of this team, um, and Carson will find his way. But but T.Y. Hilton is is the most respected player on the offense, and I don't think that's going to change. So that's a good situation to walk into with a culture that Chris Bow has been trying to build for several years that he's been obsessing about. It's there. They've got it. It's a lot easier to walk in if you're a veteran quarterback to that than whatever Carson Wentz had last year in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. I mean, And there were clearly some, some other issues going on in Philadelphia that were, that were tangentially related to Carson, but not about him. For example, what was going on with Doug Peterson and, yeah. and maybe mistrust with whether it be the front office or, or whoever, you know, and ownership, whatever the case was. I mean, like, you know, those, those dynamics are not in play here. There's not in play. So like there can be, a fuller trust between the quarterback and the coach and the general manager and whoever in the building, right? I mean, there's, these issues are completely absent. And and I think even, you know, even, even Frank Reich was even mentioned in a recent story uh, about his time in Philadelphia that, you know, there were doubts about his future and whether they would keep him around. And I'm like, what in the world was happening there, you know? So I don't think we can blame Everything that happened, Carson Wentz, on the situation, of course not, right? But it certainly didn't help. Yeah. It certainly didn't help. So you know, we'll that see. video
2: from the, from the war room, from the Eagles, that said it all, man. Howie <laughs> Rosen this running around looking for high fives. One of the scouts wants nothing to do with him. Sometimes a video that gets shared on Twitter says a thousand words.
1: I don't know the context and I know they have to come up, come out and kind of clean that up. Don't need, don't need any context for that one. It was wow. Uh, so anyway, I think that's, look, that it is what it is. We'll see. It's as Zach said earlier, it's May. It's all we got though. Right. I mean, you want to know what we can tell you, and this is what we can tell you, you know? So what I would conclude with, in terms of the Carson Wentz part of this podcast is let's talk again in September. Right. I mean, what else can I tell you? But, all I can tell you is right now, uh, I like what I see. I liked what I saw just in the passing drills last week. I saw a guy coming out and throwing on the run, using that bootleg action. Like He he is a really live athlete. There's no question about it. And he's a guy who seems like he gets it and understands his situation and where his career is, which I think is, is important. You know, we all... Care about legacy. When, you, when you're when you the number two pick in the draft, you know, you care about what history's going to say about you. You know, he, it may not be the driving force, but like you understand that, you know. So I think Carson's a smart guy. I think he gets it. And I think he's what a smart coach. So I think this has a chance.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Hey, one guy I want to touch on real quick and you've talked to him too is uh Paris Campbell. Um I think this time of year we talk a lot about you know guys who are trying to come back or like Carson Wentz, right? Or or guys who, you know, had a had a bad year or trying to recover from that and in Paris's case it's another injury. He's trying to come back from that. Yeah. Uh, he looks good, man. And He does. And and he's in good spirits too, which I which I didn't necessarily expect, you know, I mean, cause he's had, listen, I mean, he's had a lot of pressure on him. He still does. And, and I think, you know, all these expectations and he hasn't fulfilled any of them really. And, you know, you, you wonder what that can do to a guy, but he's in a good place, I think. And I, I just think I'm telling you, I, I I hope to God, he stays healthy because I think that's really all that's missing. I think this guy has every tool you need. Uh, I don't know, but what, what was your impression you got from
2: him? I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I really think he is the missing piece to this offense. Um, Look, I had a long talk with him on the phone last week and he was, he was as honest as I've heard him on this topic and it was ugly. Like there were some dark days for him. And, and I do agree with you that he's in a better place now. And it's not necessarily because he's back on the field, but there were some interesting quotes and I have a story going up, you know, early next week where he kind of walks you through what it was like for him the last year. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the pain of the knee injury. When it happened, it was the sound. As soon as he heard the knee pop, the bone pop, he said he knew his ear was done. And he said, Sundays were awful. I mean, we're talking depression, watching on TV, yelling at the TV other days, complete silence. Like that's just a peek into what this guy went through, but this was an interesting, interesting quote. He shared with me at the end, we were talking about sort of getting through all that. And he said, look, if I would have had a lot of success early in my career, I don't think I would have handled it the right way. He said, now I see that through the last two years that I've had. I mean, this is a guy that no major injuries his entire life, besides a couple of concussions. And then you had five his rookie year, he the hernia, the hamstring, the hand, the foot, he had a car accident. He had a concussion one day. Oh my God, I forgot this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that too. And then, he, you know, the second play of the second game of the season, he busts his knee. So um, he's a different person than he was two years ago. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the guys that reached out to him every single week last year that meant the world to him, this surprised me a little bit. It was T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm all behind Paris Campbell in terms of his skill set. I've always thought he's the perfect element in this offense. We know Frank Reich thinks that as well. But look for that story next week on The Athletic. It's as honest as I've heard him, um and he definitely makes you feel um how dark it was at certain points, but mm-hmm. I think he's good now, and he does look really damn good on the field when he's when he's back up running a hundred percent
1: I mean he sticks out he just sticks out as I yeah. tell you like you get just it like when you see it yeah, just like like Carson like you know if you just walked out there and had never seen any of those 53 guys play before and you're picking teams you're like okay i want that guy you know i mean just look at it's the eye test you watch it and it's like all right that guy's a football player i don't know who the hell he is but i he looks like he can play that's that's what paris campbell looks like on the football field so uh i I think i think the colts see it and i mean look we all remember the the draft room videos of Frank Reich high-fiving the hell out of everybody in the room because he was so damn excited. I don't know that I've ever seen him more excited about a guy uh, than the day they got Paris Campbell. And and yet they haven't had a chance to really get the Paris Campbell experience. So there's a lot of frustration, but I, I'm optimistic about it. And I also think, uh, Paris, you mentioned T.Y. Hilton. He, I have talked to him about T.Y. before as well. And he really, really admires T.Y. Hilton. And I think T.Y. coming back will be very good for Paris because he just, he admires a lot about him in terms of on the field and off the field. He's talked about the kind of father he is and like how he wants to be like that one day. And we all know how T.Y. adores his kids and, and, you know, it's all even post on social media. And so I, I think that that relationship will be good. And we've seen a lot of those in this locker room, you know, be it, uh, Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner, for example, you know, relationships like that, you know, and, yep. and you saw how they were able to lift each other. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be good for those two guys uh, in the wide receiver room as well. So we'll see. Um, you mentioned a guy before we hit the record button here that I, I think we should talk about a little bit. We, we also, we've learned like little bits and pieces this week. I think they have given us a clearer picture of certain topics. And and one guy who we haven't talked enough about is Ben Banigou. And, you know, when we have talked about him, we've talked about him not being out there and, and not being on the field, not because he was hurt, but because they just said, you didn't make the cut this week, buddy. Um, He was fiery when we talked to him, I thought, last week. Uh, I don't even know if fiery is the wrong word, I guess. Um, yeah. He, he, I had he was, mixed feelings on it. Yeah, I think he knows that he's he's under some pressure. That's what I saw. I saw a guy who who knows I got to get my act together. Uh, but I don't know what were your takeaways. I was unimpressed. Like, mm-hmm. can I just keep it real? Mm-hmm.
2: Like, and and I get it. Like, he's talking to us in May. It doesn't matter what he says to the media. I get that. But I didn't see, I didn't see a guy that was ticked off about not playing last year. Um. You know, I asked him a couple different ways. He didn't really mm-hmm. like my questions, which is fine. They're fair questions, though. Um, and he said, I don't want to talk about last year. And I was like, oh, he this said year. that
1: like five times, though. That's yeah. and
2: like, But last year but, happened, dude. OK. Yeah. So, and sorry, like, OK, you don't want to talk about what happened last year. But what did you learn? Nothing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm overdoing it. But my takeaway was I was not given the feeling that this guy is going to go gung ho into training camp and earn a spot on a really loaded defensive line that if he doesn't bring it, he's going to not, he's not gonna be on the week one roster. It's they're not going to carry him on the 53 just to keep him inactive on Sundays, not with these two rookies they're going to bring up. And, and with Taylor Stallworth earning a spot and and Tyquan, like, um, I don't know. I just, I just wasn't impressed. And I know that talking to us doesn't matter in the long run. It's what you do on the field in, in August and September, but I don't know where Ben Banigo is right now. That's that's my takeaway.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we on on paper, when you look at just the numbers game, you know, yes, Justin Houston and Danico Atri are gone, and that's true. However, they've kind of been replaced, at least in terms of numbers, because now you have Quiddy Pay. Dale, I'm not counting yet because he may be a while, but even if you leave him out of the equation, here's Kamoko Ture, who we'll get to in a second. Like he's On the verge, okay, he's close. He can play, like Kamoko can play. We've seen it. Yeah, I'm not counting, you know, the chickens yet on that one. You know, before the eggs hatch. But, but if he's healthy, I mean, at minimum, that guy is a very good rotational player, right? I mean, so he's gonna play if he's healthy. And so, you know, he had that recent surgery, but he's working back and he's close. So it's not as if, okay, well, Justin Houston and Denico Watcher are gone, so nay, hey, Ben Bandigo, now's your chance. That not necessarily. He still has to really, really earn this. Okay. You still have other guys who who have have played meaningful snaps. You've got Isaac Rochelle, you've got Alquati yeah. Muhammad, I mean, Muhammad earned they, it. Yeah, there's a lot of guys here who they can play. They got options, man. And so and you're remember what right. Ballard
2: said. He, Ballard drafted two defensive ends for goodness sakes with his first two picks. <laughs> and in the draft room, when we talked to him a couple of weeks later, he said, "I know what message that sends. That's I, we know it. He knows it, and Ben Banigou knows it. And if he doesn't know it, that's a problem. You know, maybe Ben has a breakout camp and has a great season. They believe in his talent. They believe that he works." Um, but I just, I don't know. You guys are welcome to watch the interview and come to your own conclusions, but I just didn't see it. I felt like I saw more from Taekwon Lewis last year when we would talk to him about mm-hmm. what he had come out of. Then I saw from Ben Banago on Monday, but we'll see. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he does on the field
1: in, in August. And, and the one last thing I'll say on Ben, like he's a, he's a bright guy, like really, really intelligent guy. And you talked to him. So, it's not like you know look I'd be I don't mean to like say some guys are dumb and some are smart. I'm not saying that. What but I think but some guys are more aware than others, okay? That is definitely true. And we know this cuz we talk to players all the time and we know who are, who is in what category, right? Some guys are more aware of their situations and what they say and all that. Bam Bamigo is definitely one of them cuz that guy is very intelligent. So yeah. there's no question to me like he he totally understood the context and understood, you know, was should have have an awareness of what this is. Now, what he says to me in May doesn't mean shit when it comes time to like play in September. I get that. But it's the yeah. only window we have right now into him, you know, possibly understanding a situation. All I all I can tell you is if he doesn't get it, then he's not paying attention. He should be paying attention. So I, I think mostly, it matters a little bit.
2: Like we know, we know bit, these yeah. guys. Yeah. Some guys it, it doesn't not matter at all. Like some guys you can just see it and you can feel it. Some guys just yeah. have a confidence. Um, Darius Leonard, man, like he just he just is is just dripping in the confidence. And it he plays the way he talks. And not every yep. guy's like that, but um, we'll see. One of the more interesting guys to watch come training camp, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh
1: so I mentioned Terray. I I thought that um it was it was interesting talking to him. I I thought that I don't know that I got a ton out of it, other than you know he 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 he's he's just I think waiting his turn. He he is ready, and I think he he knows there's really not much to say in his case because we've seen him play well. He's yeah. just got it. It really boils down to his health. But um, I I thought that it was interesting though that that he he didn't have any regrets about playing last year. And, and Chris Ballard has mentioned that maybe he should have just held him back and, and not put him out there. But uh, I'm sure there was impatience on all on all fronts, right? Like everyone was yeah. ready to see him go, including the player more than anybody. But, um, you know, what he said was I just wanted to do what I could to help the team. And I get that, you know. It's like, man, these guys drafted me pretty high. And, you know, I'm, I haven't had a chance to show it. And I imagine that can get – um. You know that can be that that can create impatience. I guess is what I'm. I saying. wonder what it's like privately for
2: those guys in that 18 draft class, especially Tyquan mm-hmm. and Kamoko. Because look at the other two that they were drafted. You know, Braden Smith, future Pro Bowl or Darius, future Defensive Player of the Year, the first round picks is going to be a Hall of Famer. Then they're kind of there and they're and they're trying to earn spots in the defensive line. And Kamoko's had just terrible injury luck because we know he can play and he's he's definitely flashed. I love his skill set. And he just has had a miserable two years. I mean, he's had two ankle surgeries over two years. And remember how well he was playing in that Chiefs game when he went down. That was a huge win that year. He was playing great. Um, and, and last year the defense was really rolling by midseason. And you thought if they could get True Ray back, they could really take it up a notch, get that defensive end, pass rusher that they were just quite missing. Um Maybe he's that guy this year. I really think he could be that down the line. He's got to get healthy. I think he's going to be a full go for training camp, but they're going to bring him along slowly. Um, I'm higher on his skill set than, than Banigou for sure. I've seen him do it at the NFL, but um,
1: it's been a tough two years for him, no doubt. Yeah, no question. Um, look, I think at worst, he's a guy who's in the rotation and can give you some quality snaps if he's healthy, right? I mean, I think that's, that's, yeah. that's the floor for – for Kumoko Ture, in my opinion, so we'll see I mean they you know look everything's on paper right now, but I mean, with full health, I like what I kind of like what they have we'll but we'll see they they're definitely more athletic, potentially more athletic and more dynamic you know that, that will that mean more production i don't know you know we'll see because they they had some productive players in, in guys like danico Autry. but but they're definitely more dynamic. You know, like Quinny Pay is a dynamic player, right? Yeah, I mean, that dude's going to play right away. Like, yeah. Like, we're not, not talking about him because we already know where that's going. Yeah. Because, okay. like,
2: every couple of years they draft a guy and you're like, oh, like, I don't have to ask any questions. Like, Ryan Kelly, I was like, oh, day one center, yep. 10 years. Yep. Quentin, you know, it's like with Quinny Pay, I just feel like he's just going to start at right defensive end and no one's going to take the spot from him for quite a while.
1: It feels like that. It's, I think the, the Ryan Kelly example is a great example, right? It's like, Position of need when they drafted him. It's like day one of like OTAs. He's out there, you know, and it's like I forget oh, he's on the he's team the sometimes. You just take him for granted because he's so yeah. damn consistent. But yeah, yeah, I mean,
2: that's that's a good thing to have. It's just pretty pay. He's just he's like loving life because he doesn't have to go to school anymore. He's like, I just I just do football now. So, yeah, um, he's going to be fun one to watch, too.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. So so anyway, I, I like in theory what's going on on the uh on the the defensive line, but you know but we'll see we got a long way to go so anyway uh let's wind this down because we got to get to practice uh what are you what are you looking for out there today what what's the la- last look at the Colts before training camp what do you want to see
2: I'm gonna keep my eye on the offense um mm-hmm. I heard a little bit that that Michael Strawn has looked good so far seventeen He's the uh, late round draft pick out of the small school, the big wide receiver. I mean, two things jumped out at me last week. One was the size of freaking Deo Odego. Ode- Ode- <laughs> oh, my Godzilla. God. That's what I said out loud when I saw him. I said, oh, my God. I mean, he's Buckner size and he, he's, he's that big. Um, he's not playing right now. He's not practicing. He's just standing off to the side. but I'm telling you, <laughs> holy crap. This guy is enormous. Like I get it. Like if he can move, like I get it. Yeah. Um, and the other one is Michael Straw. Now he stands out too. He's an enormous receiver and they've not had a lot of those guys, um, in the past couple of years, but, um, you know, they've, they've liked what they've seen so far from Michael Straugh. It's it, they're not in pads. They're not playing real football but I'm anxious to see him today. And then more so I'm anxious to
1: see him camp. Yeah. I think it'll be really interesting. Um, So we'll see. Uh, I I think there's, I think it's going to be a a really interesting and revealing training camp, probably the most in in several years. So I'm looking forward to it and we'll see, but we got a lot more to go before then. We got lots of stories in the tank and uh, we'll continue to uh, bring you some coverage of the Colts in between uh, getting in lots of, extra sleep that we are that have we've been deprived of i guess i don't know what you're talking about i'm going moment. to play golf <laughs> and that yes and i need it because uh we got some events coming up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna embarrass myself if i don't get out there so anyway thanks for listening guys uh we appreciate it if you're not a subscriber to the athletic uh you want to get in on that because uh, there's you're missing great stuff like like zach's story today on <laughs> the Ursay father and son which i haven't had a chance to dig into yet but I, I have heard enough stories about Bob Ursay to know that you want to read this story. So are about some
2: time. It's um, it is wild.
1: Yeah, Zach does not write short. That's okay though. If it's good, then long is fine. <laughs> Bad long stories suck. Good right. long stories are good. right.
2: <laughs> so. I hope you don't feel like this is a long story, but it right. is um, for those fans that were around when Bob Ursay owned the team? You will remember. You remember some of the stuff. It is. It's unbelievable to think of in today's NFL, but this is the stuff that happened back then.
1: Man, it's pretty cool. All right, so hey, thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is One Percent Better.